The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is called, well, it's about the surrendered wife. But I think that word is a little bit of a misnomer when I actually look at the book and see what she's trying to say. But I think a lot of the men listening might really enjoy hearing what they can expect from their spouses. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest who happens to be coming to us all the way from Orange County, California. We usually have many of our guests from out of state, so this now we have an Orange County author. And let me tell you about Laura Doyle, who is the author of The Surrendered Wife, A Practical Guide to Finding Intimacy, Passion, and Peace with a Man. And I know that my husband would love to hear that as well. And she also wrote the book, The Surrendered Single. Her books have been translated into 16 languages and published in 27 countries. Thousands of women credit her with not only saving their relationships, but also showing them how to become desired, cherished, and adored. And she's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and the founder of Loyal Laura Doyle Connect, a multinational relationship coaching center. And in 2013, she was named a quarter finalist for the Change the World Search for the Next Global Thought Leader. And she's appeared on CBS Evening News, Dateline, NBC, The Today Show, and The View. And she's been written about in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and the New Yorker. Uh, Laura lives in Newport Beach, just up the coast from us. And um, she lives with her hilarious husband, John Doyle. And we are just thrilled to have her join us and thank you so much for joining us laura just our our neighbor yeah it's a pleasure to be here mari thanks for having me well you know i interview a lot of people about relationship issues and i deal with people in divorce all the time and over the years i've actually had couples get back together and i'm you know my uh, co-author and i just have a new book called couples fighting for love so this really kind of relates to something that I've been writing about and thinking about for many, many years. So let's talk about what you mean by a surrendered wife. Well, a surrendered wife knows that she can't change anyone besides herself, so she doesn't try. She won't tell her husband 
how to dress or how to drive or what to do at work. And instead, she focuses on her own happiness. And that, in turn, really improves the intimacy. Right. So sometimes, you know, like I, I know when we saw the, the title, we went, oh, my gosh, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're old-fashioned? Does that mean that you are, you know, like the Japanese woman, you'd walk 10 spaces behind or you don't have any uh, boundaries yourself? But it really doesn't mean that, does it? No, and I think that's really a common misconception that people assume that I'm telling women to become a doormat or be uh, maybe subservient or obedient. And it's really none of those things. In fact, I think it's kind of the opposite. It's there's a liberation that happens when you really stay focused on your own desires and feelings and express those instead of um, trying to change your husband, which is unfortunately, Mari, what I tried to do when I first got married. I just thought I could, I didn't, you know, think, I didn't phrase it that way. I didn't say to myself, oh, I'm going to change him. I just thought I could be helpful. You know, it was like, I'm going to help him be more romantic. I'm going to help him be a little tidier, or I'm going to help him be a little more ambitious. And, of course, helpful in wife language is actually critical in husband language. And I couldn't understand why he was more interested in watching reruns than he was in making love to me. But now looking back, I can see that I was the one that was really putting all the little holes in the bucket of our um, of our emotional and physical intimacy. Right. It's, it's a, isn't it a lot about boundaries, too? you know, where people respect each other's boundaries. And I know my husband is listening in since he's my engineer. So he, <laughs> he's probably going, oh, Mari, what are you saying? You're controlling. I try not to be controlling. But um, but it is about boundaries. And it is about respecting someone else's opinion being different from yours. But I know in my first marriage, I probably was the same thing as you, Laura. You know, I think that when we're young and we get married, we think that people should think like us or do things like us. And and then if they don't, then that becomes contentious or it becomes an argument. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's, that's some of the um, sound advice that you seem to be giving in your book, too. Yeah, it's absolutely true that uh, if you, the minute you start trying to control someone else, the intimacy is going to go. You, you you either get to be intimate or you get the um, sometimes the illusion really of control because you don't really get the control. You just you know you're maybe telling him you want him to do this and maybe he's even agreeing like okay I'll do it your way, um, but that's kind of a short lived glory because I know for me and most of my clients the thing that we really wanted from our husbands was to feel desired, to feel cherished, um, to have that playfulness in our relationships again and that had gone missing. And you can't ever really feel desired if you went up to your husband and said, um, hey, how come we haven't, uh, you know, how come you never pay attention to me? Or how come you never want to spend time with me? It's like we expect him to, like, jump up and go, oh, you're right, honey, you know, and just <laughs> take us in our, his arms and say, I've missed you so much, you know, let's spend time together. But it's not really appealing or attractive to do it that way. And even if he does, do that, you, you still are thinking, wait, is he just doing that because I said that he should? We want him to want to spend time with us, not just do what we tell him to do. Right. And and sometimes we, when instead of a demand, we can do it as an ask, you know, to request from each other. There's nothing wrong with telling your spouse um, what your needs are and what you, what you would like from them. 
Either way, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's something like, oh, I love you. I would love to spend some time with you. Let's go out to dinner. Let's do something. And it seems to me that it's okay. It should be okay to express what your needs are to each other. Well, it's, it's certainly, um, one of the things that we find is really a critical ingredient of a relationship that's intimate and playful and passionate is that the woman brings um, a certain vulnerability to that relationship. And so one of the things that we work on um, in the workshops and the courses that I teach is taking a vulnerable approach. So sure, you can say to somebody, um, hey, I'd like to spend some time together, but because of the issue with wanting to feel so desired, another even more powerful way is to come vulnerably and say, and just say, I miss you. Just I miss you. I've had even, um, I remember I had one wife who was, um, she and her husband were sort of separated in the same house, like he was sleeping in the spare room. And they went to the movies together because they were trying to work it out. And she just whispered in her his ear, she said, I miss having you in my bed. And he was back in her bed that very night. Yeah, yeah, whenever you can say something sweet to the other person. And a lot of it has to do with tone of voice, don't you think? Um, you know, for me, it's been really helpful to have certain phrases and words that I rely on and that when I say them, it's almost, it doesn't really even matter what I'm feeling or thinking at the time. I'm making the choice to have to say something that's going to serve the intimacy instead of uh, serving my feelings of wanting to be in control, which, by the way, is all based in fear. If I'm not afraid of something, then I don't have to try to control it. So by choosing to act in my faith instead of my fear, I can preserve the intimacy by just using these certain really practical phrases. And I think that's part of why this book became a New York Times bestseller and was published in so many languages in so many countries is that it really was so practical to just you know try using these, these words. And women all over the world found that it really worked for them. So why don't we talk about some of those phrases so that women can you know, get your book and find out more about it, but at least that they can walk away with some phrases that might work for them as well. You bet. And um, so just as preparation for that, I just want to say that the very first step to having an intimate and passionate and peaceful relationship is um, practicing good self-care because we find that without that, I mean, it's going to take some reserves. I mean, even to have a good relationship in general it takes some reserves. And so if you're frazzled and stressed out and overwhelmed and overworked, you give yourself very little chance of being able to do any of the things that I suggest. So the first thing that we all uh, focus on doing and that I still focus on doing every day is three things a day just for my own pleasure. And by that, I don't mean you know improving my cardio or reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but just something I love. Like maybe it's reading a gossip magazine or taking a bath or just going for a walk or having a cup of coffee with a girlfriend. So that's the very first, um, I'll call it a discipline actually, uh, is making your own self-care the priority. Okay, so that's good. And, you know, another thing that I notice in the 29 years that I've been doing divorce mediation is sometimes when you talk about self-care, people aren't taking care of themselves and looking the best that they can look as well and being clean and being taking the time to put on some makeup to, to you know, look good for your spouse, and, and vice versa, men too. I mean, they should be doing the same thing, being clean and being um, attractive as they can be. Don't you think that's part of it? 
Well, I know for me, um, I mean, a lot of my uh, beauty regimen does fall under self-care, right? Like, I always feel good getting a manicure and pedicure. I love getting my facial or having my hair done and things like that. So if there's certainly an overlap between um, self-care and the way you, you look, or even, let's say, going for a walk is something you enjoy. But that also, um, you know, gives you some muscles and things like that. So there's certainly some overlap there. But I sometimes I wonder which came first. Like if when a marriage is a struggle, any relationship is a struggle, it's such a big drain on your energy. I mean, Mari, what happened for me, for instance, was we were miserable and I almost divorced my husband and we were going to marriage counseling and it just wasn't fixing things for us. And as soon as I learned the intimacy skills, uh, which I got from interviewing women that had long, happy marriages, what emerged for me was, like, I got to write this book, it became a bestseller, I got to go on national TV shows, and I got to travel abroad and talk about my book, and it was all very exciting, but it was also really terrifying and scary. So I think, for me, a lot of my energy was getting used up just in the struggle of daily living in my bad relationship. And once that cleared up, I just had, you know, enormous amounts of energy to do the things that I'm on the earth to do to really fulfill my own purpose and dreams. Right. So so let's go back now that you had given that preface about the self-care. So what are some key issues or key phrases, sure. rather, that, that people, that women who are listening in might want to consider yeah. using to help them? Okay. So the first one, the big, um, one really big aha moment for me in my marriage was finding out that when my husband is talking, even if I disagree with what he's saying or if I don't, you know, if he's saying, well, I think we should sell everything and go buy an alpaca farm, you know, in Northern California or something. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what, are you crazy? You know, that everybody has the right to just talk, you know, think out loud and try things on. And my husband does that. I mean, I do it too. We all do it a lot. And so I didn't really need to either agree or disagree or weigh in on it in any way but my husband, like all of us, has a deep need to be heard and understood. And one way that I could just bear witness without weighing in was to use this magical phrase, which I now use with everyone in my life, and that phrase is, I hear you. Just, I hear you. So he could be saying, he could come home from work and say, oh, my boss is such a jerk, and I have a good mind to tell him that he, you know, where he should shove it or whatever. And I don't have to go, well, I don't think that's wise. I mean, you could lose your job. I can just go, I hear you. I hear, and he could say, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, do some, uh, maybe a, a financial investment that I think is risky or crazy or whatever. And just for me to recognize that he's just trying things on and give him that space has been really powerful. And I do it now with my, my sisters. I mean, I don't have to tell my sisters what to do anymore or my dad or my girlfriends. And I find that it's just really improved my relationship with everyone all around. Right. Listening is so important. People feel loved when they're listened to. So saying, I hear you, and I noticed the tone of voice that you said it. Oh, I hear you. It's very important, the tone of voice that we use with our loved one, too, because otherwise, if we're just going to use the phrase, oh, yeah, I hear you, that's not going to make it. It means like, I hear you, or wow, tell me more about that. Really being um, a, a loving listener shows a lot of love. What's another one? Another one is just a, a really simple word that even every three-year-old knows, but it's been very powerful in my relationship, and that is the word ouch. 
And the context for this is that when we're uh, living so close together, it's just inevitable that sometimes you hurt each other's feelings. I mean, most of the time not, but uh, once in a while, you know, somebody, when your partner will just say something that just rubs you wrong. And so sometimes in that moment, you're tempted to, for fight or flight, right? That's our, our genetic conditioning is to, to either fight back or run away. But instead of doing either of those things, which aren't conducive to intimacy, I find that if I can just say, ouch, it feels very vulnerable, it feels scary, it took some practice to learn how to do it in the moment. But when I do that, it lets my husband know that he, you know, he said something that hurt the woman he loves most in the world, which is the opposite of what he wants to do. So it can really be, uh, it's a great way for me to not get in trouble myself by saying, making a swipe back at him because I'm hurt now, right? So instead of saying something rude back and maybe launching World War III, I stay out of trouble. I maintain the intimacy and the connection. And I give him the opportunity, um, and usually he takes it. You know, sometimes he'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that, or I was just playing, or, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I feel badly that I, that I hurt you. And so that's a great thing because he only hears at that moment his own voice in his head. He doesn't hear me saying, you know, you're really inconsiderate or you're not, you should be more thoughtful or you should think about what you say before you say it, right? So he's just hearing his own voice in his head and his own convictions. Right, and so that you have to be able to put up your golden shield to be able to do that, and you don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction. So saying, ouch, lets the other party know, like, wow, that hurts. And obviously no one really, most people don't intentionally want to hurt you, especially right. if you're married to them, so that's a good one. Yeah, it is. In fact, we've seen where uh, women will come to me and say, well, my marriage is never going to work because he's verbally abusive. And we've seen them even just using this ouch and then using all the other intimacy skills, of course. They all work in conjunction where it totally clears up. There's not, it's not a verbally abusive relationship anymore. So it's really kind of a magical phrase. Right. Okay, you got another one? Sure. Um, another one is, and this one's pretty controversial, Mari, but it's also so effective. So I just encourage you to, to, uh, to consider it, even if it just lands on you wrong. You might just use it as an experiment sometime in your relationship and just see how it works for you. Um, and that the, the idea is that if you want a respectful marriage, you could let it begin with you. Like that old song about peace on earth, right? Right, right. Let it begin with me. Right. And so when I'm not as respectful as I hold myself, you know, to my own standards, what I'll say is, like, maybe I've been controlling. Maybe I've, I, I actually just did this the other day, unfortunately. I hate to admit it, but... He came home and he had bought some shampoo and conditioner when he got his hair cut. And I know that he never used the previous conditioner that he bought because it's still sitting there in the shower unopened. And I said, you bought some more conditioner? And he <laughs> said, yeah, it comes with the shampoo. And I, and then I went and I had to say, and you never even used that other conditioner. And he said, he, he doesn't let me get away with anything where he goes, are you questioning what I bought? And I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I go, I apologize for being disrespectful to send. And that's the phrase, I apologize for being disrespectful. And then you just tie it back to the, the moment that you were disrespectful. So if you're doing it later or the next day or something, you could say, when I said this or when I did this, and you reference it. And, uh, oh, my gosh, is it powerful for really restoring the intimacy. Uh, and so right after that, it was all cleaned up, and we just went back to, we're getting ready for bed, and just we we're playful and just enjoying each other and affectionate, and so no intimacy was lost. 
Yeah. And so that's that's about really respecting each other's boundaries. And respect is so important. If someone feels unrespect, disrespected, they lose love for each other. So that's a really important thing that people want to feel respect and want to be respected. Especially men. I think respect is like oxygen for men. And I think in some ways um, it was really revealing to me to realize that when I was giving what I thought were helpful suggestions, they were actually all landing on my husband as disrespect. Like I didn't respect the way he handled money or I didn't respect the way he, you know, the way he would buy conditioner, let's say, right? I mean, all these little things. uh, So it was really an eye-opener for me to get clear on uh, what it meant to be respectful. Right. I think when you're married a long time, though, you also need to discuss some things. You know, if, if someone constantly buys things that are not used it 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 says it gives you an opportunity to talk about hey you know how are we going to budget our money or what should we do about buying things you know or i mean it opens up a door perhaps to be able to talk about these things because if if you uh, just let something go over and over again and never really talk about it in a respectful manner then there could be problems too you know, well, I, I think, I, I think you know, that's really I would, important. I would say that my experience has been that a lot of the little things, let's say conditioner, for instance, that I was focused on in the old days, um, you know, it really is not, I, I mean, one of the questions I'm constantly asking my clients is, well, what would you get that you don't have now if he didn't buy conditioner, let's say, right? In this case, it's me, but let's say it was a client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the answer usually comes back. It's like, well, I'm, there's not anything that I'm going without right now. I just think, you know, we should save the money or we should, you know, we should put it away for retirement or the future or whatever. And I think what we just don't realize is in that moment, it's costing us so much more than we realize to pick on something, that, you know, such a small matter. So for me, it's like in that moment I get to decide, like, gosh, would I rather be intimate or would I rather try to control his shampoo and conditioning uh, purchases? And for me, most of the time, not always, but most of the time the answer is that I would rather have the connection in my relationship. And you're absolutely right. What, I'm, what I was talking about is let's say there is a continual um, behavior that someone buys things that they don't need all the time, mm-hmm. okay? Let's say that that is just a habit. And it's fine not to say anything to be hurtful about, well, you didn't need the conditioner or something like that. But I think it comes to the point where maybe you need to sit down. There are issues that you need to sit down and really talk about, not that conditioner, but what's underlying it. Like, how how are we spending money? Let's talk. Let's have a time to talk about how we should budget or how we should spend money. Because when I, when people come to me... It isn't about the conditioner, okay? When they yeah. come to me and they're in a divorce, it's this thing that they've put under the rug quite a bit of the time that they never got to really respectfully speak to each other about how they handle money, for example. And well, so- I, I think this is this really goes back to, I mean, one of the things that when I got married, I mean, I never went to Relationships 101 class because they didn't offer it at my school. Well, they don't, right. And my parents were divorced, so that was a failed recipe. And I followed it to a T, right? I just did what I saw my mom doing. And a lot of us, uh, my generation is certainly from broken homes, and the generation after me is from broken homes. 
And um, so we, where were we supposed to learn the skills that were going to help us have a great relationship? And I right. think, you know, the answer is, and so, and so in here I even went to marriage counseling, and um, it, t- it was a lot of years that I was a relationship coach of listening to women tell the stories about their relationship counseling and how it actually was like the death knell most of the time. And then looking at the statistics and finding out, wow, we've kind of been defrauded here by the whole marriage counseling industry into believing that if we brought our husbands in, the counselor would fix him and then we could finally be happy. Or believing that if we complained about each other for an hour a week in front of the counselor, that that was somehow going to make us happy. But nobody, no couple ever got happy by complaining about each other for an hour a week. And so for me, this really, it all goes back to the idea that there are these six intimacy skills that emerged uh, when I started using my own marriage as an experiment, as a laboratory. And what I see, I've helped over 50,000 women. Well, let's talk about the six things right now, because I'd like to get to that. So let's talk about the six areas of intimacy that you'd like to talk about. Sure. Well, the the six intimacy skills, we start with self-care, which I mentioned already. Right, right. right. uh, Doing at least three things a day for your own pleasure and enjoyment, not because you're trying to get in better shape or you know you should eat more vegetables, but just the way a kid goes out to run to a swing set because it's just going to be fun. And the second intimacy skill is relinquishing inappropriate control, really acknowledging, like, this is where I end and my husband begins. Like, I always think of the the serenity prayer, you know, grant mm-hmm. me the serenity to accept the diff- the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, like myself. You know, I can't change my husband, I can change myself, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. So that's the second skill. The uh-huh. third one is to respect your husband and not to, again, not to be obedient. This is not about authority. but uh, And it doesn't mean you have to agree, but it does mean that you get to, you choose to honor his decisions for his life and also to listen to him. The fourth one is receiving graciously. And what I mean by that is, as women, a lot of times we've been trained maybe to be modest. There's sort of a false modesty we take on where someone might say, oh, your hair looks so pretty, and we go, oh, no, I haven't washed it. Don't look at it. Or someone might offer to stay and help us clean up after a dinner party, and we go, oh, no, I've got it. And then at the, at the same time, we're kind of making ourselves martyrs by doing everything for everyone and getting overwhelmed. So the art of just saying what your mom told you to say, which is just smiling and saying thank you when someone offers you gifts or compliments or help is really vital for women to learn in having a great relationship. And then there's also a vulnerability. We talked, we touched on that a little bit about saying, like, I miss you instead of why don't we ever spend time together, you know. Right, right. Or, or saying ouch is another way to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the last and probably the most powerful of all the intimacy skills is gratitude, and in there we have the power of the spouse-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and the reason gra- gratitude is the most powerful skill of all is because it does double duty. It not only changes your focus from the things that you don't like to the things that you do about your spouse, but it also causes him to respond to you differently. Because when he sees that you appreciate, even if you just thank him for taking out the trash you say, I really appreciate you working hard to support the family, even though you do too, he feels more uh, inspired to be chivalrous and do things to, for your, um, 
just for your enjoyment, just to see you delighted and to see you smiling. Now, I've touched on all six of these skills, and I wish it was so easy that I could say, now everyone knows them and they can go do them. But, of course, that's not the way it works. What we found is that unless women get some training in these skills, they're very difficult to apply by themselves because we weren't raised this way and we didn't take classes when we were younger. So, uh, And that's why I created Laura Doyle Connect where we have um, courses and workshops and things to teach women how to implement these skills in their specific situations. Right, right. And I know that for those people who are listening that there are sometimes that some people that you shouldn't surrender to. Um, That's and, right. and so, yeah, and we're just we're just actually just about out of time, so I think they're going to just have to look at your book because it, it we're out of time. So, again, we have this book um, about surrender, and it is called The Surrendered Wife. And we thank you so much, Laura, for joining us, and we will have you back again just with your next book and keep up the great work. So, we, uh, we thank you very much. Thank you, Laurie. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and listen to our archived interviews at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.